dedication of on loving god this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by phil chenevere baton rouge louisiana on loving god by saint bernard of clairvaux dedication to the illustrious lord hammerick cardinal deacon of the roman church and chancellor bernard called abbot of clairvaux wisheth long life in the lord and death in the lord hitherto you have been wont to seek prayers from me not the solving of problems although i count myself sufficient for neither my profession shows that if not my conversation and to speak truth i lack the diligence and the ability that are most essential yet i am glad that you turn again for spiritual counsel instead of busying yourself about carnal matters i only wish you had gone to someone better equipped than i am still learned and simple give the same excuse and one can hardly tell whether it comes from modesty or from ignorance unless obedience to the task assigned shall reveal so take from my poverty what i can give you lest i should seem to play the philosopher by reason of my silence only i do not promise to answer other questions you may raise this one as to loving god i will deal with as he shall teach me for it is sweetest it can be handled most safely and it will be most profitable keep the others for wiser men End of Dedication Chapter One of On Loving God by St. Bernard of Clairvaux. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter One Why We Should Love God and the Measure of That Love. You want me to tell you why God is to be loved and how much. I answer, the reason for loving god is god himself and the measure of love due to him is immeasurable love is this plain doubtless to a thoughtful man but i am debtor to the unwise also a word to the wise is sufficient but i must consider simple folk too therefore i set myself joyfully to explain more in detail what is meant above we are to love God for himself because of a twofold reason. Nothing is more reasonable, nothing more profitable. When one asks, Why should I love God? He may mean, What is lovely in God? Or what shall I gain by loving God? In either case, the same sufficient cause of love exists, namely, God himself and first of his title to our love could any title be greater than this that he gave himself for us unworthy wretches and being god what better gift could he offer than himself hence if one seeks for god's claim upon our love here is the chiefest because he first loved us ought he not to be loved in return when we think who loved whom he loved and how much he loved for who is he that loved 
the same of whom every spirit testifies thou art my god my goods are nothing unto thee and is not his love that wonderful charity which seeketh not her own but for whom was such unutterable love made manifest the apostle tells us when we were enemies we were reconciled to god by the death of his son so it was god who loved us loved us freely and loved us while we were yet enemies and how great was this love of his st john answers god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life st paul adds he spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all and the son says of himself greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends this is the claim which god the holy the supreme the omnipotent has upon men defiled and base and weak some may urge that this is true of mankind but not of angels true since for angels it was not needful he who succored men in their time of need preserved angels from such need and even as his love for sinful men wrought wondrously in them so that they could not remain sinful so that same love which in equal measure he poured out upon angels kept them altogether free from sin End of chapter 1chapter two of on loving god by st bernard of clairvaux this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter two on loving god how much god deserves love from man in recognition of his gifts both material and spiritual and how these gifts should be cherished without neglect of the giver those who admit the truth of what i have said know i am sure why we are bound to love god but if unbelievers will not grant it their ingratitude is at once confounded by his innumerable benefits lavished on our race and plainly discerned by the senses who is it that gives food to all flesh light to every eye air to all that breathe it would be foolish to begin a catalogue since i have just called them innumerable but i name as notable instances food sunlight and air not because they are god's best gifts but because they are essential to bodily life man must seek in his own higher nature for the highest gifts and these are dignity wisdom and virtue by dignity i mean free will whereby he not only excels all other earthly creatures but has dominion over them wisdom is the power whereby he recognizes this dignity and perceives also that it is no accomplishment of his own and virtue impels man to seek eagerly for him who is man's source and to lay fast hold on him when he has been found now these three best gifts have each a twofold character 
dignity appears not only as the prerogative of human nature, but also as the cause of that fear and dread of man which is upon every beast of the earth. Wisdom perceives this distinction, but owns that though in us it is, like all good qualities, not of us. And lastly, virtue moves us to search eagerly for an author, and when we have found him, teaches us to cling to him yet more eagerly. Consider, too, that dignity without wisdom is nothing worth, and wisdom is harmful without virtue, as this argument following shows. There is no glory in having a gift without knowing it, but to know only that you have it, without knowing that it is not of yourself that you have it, means self-glorying, but no true glory in God. And so the apostle says to men in such cases, What hast thou that thou did not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? He asks, why dost thou glory but goes on as if thou hast not received it showing that the guilt is not in glorying over a possession but in glorying as though it had not been received and rightly such glorying is called vainglory since it has not the solid foundation of truth the apostle shows how to discern the true glory from the false when he says he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord, that is, in the truth, since our Lord is truth. We must know, then, what we are, and that it is not of ourselves that we are what we are. Unless we know this thoroughly, either we shall not glory at all, or our glorying will be vain. Finally, it is written, If thou know not, Go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock. And this is right. For a man, being in honor, if he know not his own honor, may fitly be compared, because of such ignorance, to the beasts that perish. Not knowing himself as the creature that is distinguished from the irrational brutes by the possession of reason, he commences to be confounded with them, because, ignorant of his own true glory which is within, he is led captive by his curiosity, and concerns himself with external sensual things. So he is made to resemble the lower orders by not knowing that he has been more highly endowed than they. We must be on our guard against this ignorance. We must not rank ourselves too low, and with still greater care. We must see that we do not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, as happens when we foolishly impute to ourselves whatever good may be in us. But far more than either of these kinds of ignorance, we must hate and shun that presumption which would lead us to glory in goods not our own, knowing that they are not of ourselves but of God, and yet not fearing to rob God of the honor due unto him. For mere ignorance, as in the first instance, does not glory at all, and mere wisdom, as in the second, while it has a kind of glory, yet does not glory in the Lord. In the third evil case, however, 
man sins not in ignorance but deliberately usurping the glory which belongs to god and this arrogance is a more grievous and deadly fault than the ignorance of the second since it contemns god while the other knows him not ignorance is brutal arrogance is devilish pride only the chief of all iniquities can make us treat gifts as if they were rightfully attributes of our nature and while receiving benefits rob our benefactor of his due glory wherefore to dignity and wisdom we must add virtue the proper fruit of them both virtue seeks and finds him who is the author and giver of all good and who must be in all things glorified otherwise one who knows what is right yet fails to perform it will be beaten with many stripes why you may ask because he has failed to put his knowledge to good effect but rather has imagined mischief upon his bed like a wicked servant he has turned aside to seize the glory which his own knowledge assured him belonged only to his good lord and master it is plain therefore that dignity without wisdom is useless and that wisdom without virtue is accursed but when one possesses virtue then wisdom and dignity are not dangerous but blessed such a man calls on god and lauds him confessing from a full heart not unto us o lord not unto us but unto thy name give glory which is to say o lord we claim no knowledge no distinction for ourselves all is thine since from thee all things do come but we have digressed too far in the wish to prove that even those who know not christ are sufficiently admonished by the natural law and by their own endowments of soul and body to love god for god's own sake to sum up what infidel does not know that he has received light air food all things necessary for his own body's life from him alone who giveth food to all flesh who makest his sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust who is so impious as to attribute the peculiar eminence of humanity to any other except to him who saith in genesis let us make man in our own image after our own likeness who else could be the bestower of wisdom but he that teacheth man knowledge who else could bestow virtue except the lord of virtue therefore even the infidel who knows not christ but does at least know himself is bound to love god for god's own sake he is unpardonable if he does not love the lord his god with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his mind for his own innate justice and common sense cry out from within that he is bound wholly to love god from whom he has received all things but it is hard nay rather impossible for a man by his own strength or in the power of free will to render all things to god from whom they came without rather turning them aside 
each to his own account, even as it is written, For all seek their own. And again, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. End of chapter 2 Chapter 3 of On Loving God by St. Bernard of Clairvaux This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 3 What greater incentives Christians have more than the heathen to love God? The faithful know how much need they have of Jesus and Him crucified, but though they wonder and rejoice at the ineffable love made manifest in Him, they are not daunted at having no more than their own poor souls to give in return for such great and condescending charity. They love all the more because they know themselves to be loved so exceedingly. But to whom little is given, the same loveth little. Neither Jew nor pagan feels the pangs of love as doth the church, which saith, Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. Canticles 2.5 She beholds King Solomon with the crown wherewith his mother crowned him in the day of his espousals. She sees the soul begotten of the father bearing the heavy burden of his cross. She sees the Lord of all power and might, bruised and spat upon. The author of life and glory transfixed with nails, smitten by the lance, overwhelmed with mockery, and at last laying down his precious life for his friends. Contemplating this, the sword of love pierces through her own soul also, and she cried aloud, Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. The fruits which the spouse gathers from the tree of life in the midst of the garden of her beloved are pomegranates, borrowing their taste from the bread of heaven and their color from the blood of Christ. She sees death dying and its author overthrown. She beholds captivity led captive from hell to earth, from earth to heaven, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. The earth under the ancient curse brought forth thorns and thistles, but now the church beholds it laughing with flowers and restored by the grace of a new benediction. Mindful of the verse, My heart danceth for joy, and in my song will I praise him, she refreshes herself with the fruits of his passion, which she gathers from the tree of the cross, and with the flowers of his resurrection, whose fragrance invites the frequent visits of her spouse. Then it is that he exclaims, Behold, thou art fair, my beloved. Yea, pleasant, also our bed is green. She shows her desire for his coming, and whence she hopes to obtain it, not because of her own merits, but because of the flowers of that field which God hath blessed. Christ, who willed to be conceived and brought up in Nazareth, that is, the town of branches, delights in such blossoms. 
pleased by such heavenly fragrance the bridegroom rejoices to revisit the heart's chamber when he finds it adorned with fruits and decked with flowers that is meditating on the mystery of his passion or on the glory of his resurrection the tokens of the passion we recognize as the fruitage of the ages of the past appearing in the fullness of time during the reign of sin and death but it is the glory of the resurrection in the new springtime of regenerating grace that the fresh flowers of the later age come forth whose fruit shall be given without measure at the general resurrection when time shall be no more and so it is written the winter is past the rain is over and gone the flowers appear on the earth signifying that summer has come back with him who dissolves icy death into the spring of a new life and says behold i make all things new his body sown in the grave has blossomed in the resurrection and in like manner our valleys and fields which were barren or frozen as if dead glow with reviving life and warmth the father of christ who makes all things new is well pleased with the freshness of those flowers and fruits and the beauty of the field which breathes forth such heavenly fragrance and he says in benediction see the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the lord hath blessed blessed to overflowing indeed since of his fullness have all we received but the bride may come when she pleases and gather flowers and fruits therewith to adorn the inmost recesses of her conscience that the bridegroom when he comes may find the chamber of her heart redolent with perfume so it behooves us if we would have christ for a frequent guest to fill our hearts with faithful meditations on the mercy he showed in dying for us and on his mighty power in rising again from the dead to this david testified when he sang god spake once and twice i have also heard the same that power belongeth unto god and that thou lord art merciful and surely there is proof enough and to spare in that christ died for our sins and rose again for our justification and ascended into heaven that he might protect us from on high and sent the holy spirit for our comfort hereafter he will come again for the consummation of our bliss in his death he displayed his mercy in his resurrection his power both combined to manifest his glory the bride desires to be stayed with flagons and comforted with apples because she knows how easily the warmth of love can languish and grow cold but such helps are only until she has entered into the bride chamber there she will receive his long-desired caresses even as she sighs his left hand is under my head and his right hand doth embrace me then she will perceive how far the embrace of the right hand excels all sweetness and that the left hand with which he at first caressed her cannot be compared to it 
she will understand what she has heard. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. She will prove what she hath read. My memorial is sweeter than honey, and mine inheritance than the honeycomb. What is written elsewhere? The memorial of thine abundant kindness shall be showed. Refers, doubtless, to those of whom the psalmist had said just before, One generation shall praise thy works unto another, and declare thy power. Among us on the earth there is his memory, but in the kingdom of heaven his very presence. That presence is the joy of those who have already attained to beatitude. The memory is the comfort of us who are still wayfarers, journeying towards the fatherland. End of chapter 3「four of on loving god by st bernard of clairvaux this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter four of those who find comfort in the recollection of god or are fittest for his love but it will be well to note what class of people takes comfort in the thought of god surely not that perverse and crooked generation to whom it was said woe unto you that are rich for ye have received your consolation rather those who can say with truth my soul refuseth comfort for it is meet that those who are not satisfied by the present should be sustained by the thought of the future and that the contemplation of eternal happiness should solace those who scorn to drink from the river of transitory joys that is the generation of them that seek the lord even of them that seek not their own but the face of the god of jacob to them that long for the presence of the living god the thought of him is sweetest itself but there is no satiety rather an ever-increasing appetite even as the scripture bears witness they that eat me shall yet be hungry and if the one and hungered spake when i awake up after thy likeness i shall be satisfied with it yea blessed even now are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they and only they shall be filled woe to you wicked and perverse generation woe to you foolish and abandoned people who hate Christ's memory and dread his second advent. Well may you fear who will not now seek deliverance from the snare of the hunter, because they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts. In that day we shall not escape the dreadful sentence of condemnation. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Oh, dreadful sentence indeed, oh, hard saying, how much harder to bear than that other saying which we repeat daily in church, in memory of the passion, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. That signifies, whoso honors my death and after my example mortifies his members which are upon the earth, shall have eternal life even as the apostle says 
if we suffer we shall also reign with him and yet many even today recoil from these words and go away saying by their action if not with their lips this is a hard saying who can hear it a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit cleaveth not steadfastly unto god but chooseth rather to trust in uncertain riches it is disturbed at the very name of the cross and counts the memory of the passion intolerable how can such sustain the burden of that fearful sentence depart from me ye cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels on whomsoever that stone shall fall it will grind him to powder but the generation of the faithful shall be blessed since like the apostle they labor that whether present or absent they may be accepted of the lord at the last day they too shall hear the judge pronounce their award come ye blessed of my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world in that day those who set not their hearts aright will feel too late how easy is christ's yoke to which they would not bend their necks and how light his burden in comparison with the pains they must then endure o oh, wretched slaves of mammon you cannot glory in the cross of our lord jesus christ while you trust in treasures laid up on earth you cannot taste and see how gracious the lord is while you are hungering for gold if you have not rejoiced at the thought of his coming that day will be indeed a day of wrath to you but the believing soul longs and faints for god she rests sweetly in the contemplation of him she glories in the reproach of the cross until the glory of his face shall be revealed like the bride the dove of christ that is covered with silver wings white with innocence and purity she reposes in the thought of thine abundant kindness lord jesus and above all she longs for that day when in the joyful splendor of thy saints gleaming with the radiance of the beatific vision her feathers shall be like gold resplendent with the joy of thy countenance rightly then she may exult his left hand is under my head and his right hand doth embrace me the left hand signifies the memory of that matchless love which moved him to lay down his life for his friends and the right hand is the beatific vision which he hath promised to his own and the delight they have in his presence the psalmist sings rapturously at thy right hand there is pleasure for evermore so we are warranted in explaining the right hand as that divine and deifying joy of his presence rightly too is that wondrous and ever memorable love symbolized as his left hand upon which the bride rests her head until iniquity be done away for he sustains the purpose of her mind lest it should be turned aside to earthly carnal desires for the flesh wars against the spirit the corruptible body presseth down the soul and the earthly tabernacle weigheth down the mind that museth upon many things 
what could result from the contemplation of compassion so marvelous and so undeserved favor so free and so well attested kindness so unexpected clemency so unconquerable grace so amazing except that the soul should withdraw from all sinful affections reject all that is inconsistent with god's love and yield herself wholly to heavenly things no wonder is it that the bride moved by the perfume of these unctions runs swiftly all on fire with love yet reckons herself as loving all too little in return for the bridegroom's love and rightly since it is no great matter that a little dust should be all consumed with love of that majesty which loved her first and which revealed itself as wholly bent on saving her for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life this sets forth the father's love but he hath poured out his soul unto death was written of the son and of the holy spirit it is said the comforter which is the holy ghost whom the father will send in my name he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever i have said unto you it is plain therefore that god loves us and loves us with all his heart for the holy trinity altogether loves us if we may venture so to speak of the infinite and incomprehensible godhead who is essentially one end of chapter four chapter five of on loving god by saint bernard of clairvaux this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter five of the christian's debt of love how great it is from the contemplation of what has been said we see plainly that god is to be loved and that he has a just claim upon our love but the infidel does not acknowledge the son of god and so he can know neither the father nor the holy spirit for he that honoureth not the son honoureth not the father which sent him nor the spirit whom he hath sent he knows less of god than we no wonder that he loves god less this much he understands at least that he owes all he is to his creator but how will it be with me for i know that my god is not merely the bounteous bestower of my life the generous provider of all my needs the pitiful consoler of all my sorrows the wise guide of my course but that he is far more than all that he saves me with an abundant deliverance he is my eternal preserver the portion of my inheritance my glory even so it is written with him is plenteous redemption and again he entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us of his salvation it is written he forsaketh not his that be godly but they are preserved for ever and of his bounty 
good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give unto your bosom and in another place i hath not seen nor ear heard neither have entered into the heart of man those things which god hath prepared for them that love him he will glorify us even as the apostle beareth witness saying we look for the saviour the lord jesus christ who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body and again i reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us and once more our light affliction which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen what shall i render unto the lord for all his benefits towards me reason and natural justice alike move me to give up myself wholly to loving him to whom i owe all that i have and am but faith shows me that i should love him far more than i love myself as i come to realize that he hath given me not my own life only but even himself yet before the time of full revelation had come before the word was made flesh died on the cross came forth from the grave and returned to his father before god had shown us how much he loved us by all this plenitude of grace the commandment had been uttered thou shalt love the lord thy god with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might that is with all thy being all thy knowledge all thy powers and it was not unjust for god to claim this from his own work and gifts why should not the creature love his creator who gave him the power to love why should he not love him with all his being since it is by his gift alone that he can do anything that is good it was god's creative grace that out of nothingness raised us to the dignity of manhood and from this appears our duty to love him and the justice of his claim to that love but how infinitely is the benefit increased when we bethink ourselves of his fulfilment of the promise thou lord shall save both man and beast how excellent is thy mercy o lord for we who turned our glory into the similitude of a calf that eateth hay by our evil deeds debased ourselves so that we might be compared unto the beasts that perish i owe all that i am to him who made me but how can i pay my debt to him who redeemed me and in such wondrous wise creation was not so vast a work as redemption for it is written of man and of all things that were made he spake the word and they were made but to redeem that creation which sprang into being at his word how much he spake what wonders he wrought what hardships he endured what shames he suffered therefore what reward shall i give unto the lord 
for all the benefits which he hath done unto me in the first creation he gave me myself but in his new creation he gave me himself and by that gift restored to me the self that i had lost created first and then restored i owe him myself twice over in return for myself but what have i to offer him for the gift of himself could i multiply myself a thousandfold and then give him all what would that be in comparison with god end of chapter 5chapter 6 of on loving god by st bernard of clairvaux this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter 6 a brief summary admit that god deserves to be loved very much yea boundlessly because he loved us first he infinite and we nothing loved us miserable sinners with a love so great and so free this is why i said at the beginning that the measure of our love to god is to love immeasurably for since our love is toward god who is infinite and immeasurable how can we bound or limit the love we owe him besides our love is not a gift but a debt and since it is the godhead who loves us himself boundless eternal supreme love of whose greatness there is no end yea and his wisdom is infinite whose peace passeth all understanding since it is he who loves us i say can we think of repaying him grudgingly i will love thee o lord my strength the lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer my god my strength in whom i will trust he is all that i need all that i long for my god and my help i will love thee for thy great goodness not so much as i might surely but as much as i can i cannot love thee as thou deserveth to be loved for i cannot love thee more than my own feebleness permits i will love thee more when thou deemest me worthy to receive greater capacity for loving yet never so perfectly as thou hast deserved of me thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect and in thy book all my members were written yet thou recordest in that book all who do what they can even though they cannot do what they ought surely i have said enough to show how god should be loved and why but who has felt who can know who express how much we should love him end of chapter six chapter seven of on loving god by st bernard of clairvaux this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter seven of love toward god not without reward and how the hunger of man's heart cannot be satisfied with earthly things and now let us consider what profit we shall have from loving god 
even though our knowledge of this is imperfect still that is better than to ignore it altogether i have already said when it was a question of wherefore and in what manner god should be loved that there was a double reason constraining us his right and our advantage having written as best i can though unworthily of god's right to be loved i have still to treat of the recompense which that love brings for although god would be loved without respect of reward yet he wills not to leave love unrewarded true charity cannot be left destitute even though she is unselfish and seeketh not her own love is an affection of the soul not a contract it cannot rise from a mere agreement nor is it so to be gained it is spontaneous in its origin and impulse and true love is its own satisfaction it has its reward but that reward is the object beloved for whatever you seem to love if it is on account of something else what you do really love is that something else not the apparent object of desire st paul did not preach the gospel that he might earn his bread he ate that he might be strengthened for his ministry what he loved was not bread but the gospel true love does not demand a reward but it deserves one surely no one offers to pay for love yet some recompense is due to one who loves and if his love endures he will doubtless receive it on a lower plane of action it is the reluctant not the eager whom we urge by promises of reward who would think of paying a man to do what he was yearning to do already for instance no one would hire a hungry man to eat or a thirsty man to drink or a mother to nurse her own child who would think of bribing a farmer to dress his own vineyard or to dig about his orchard or to rebuild his house so all the more one who loves god truly asks no other recompense than god himself for if he should demand anything else it would be the prize that he loved and not god it is natural for a man to desire what he reckons better than that which he has already and be satisfied with nothing which lacks that special quality which he misses thus if it is for her beauty that he loves his wife he will cast longing eyes after a fairer woman if he is clad in a rich garment he will covet a costlier one and no matter how rich he may be he will envy a man richer than himself do we not see people every day endowed with vast estates who keep on joining field to field dreaming of wider boundaries for their lands those who dwell in palaces are ever adding house to house continually building up and tearing down remodeling and changing men in high places are driven by insatiable ambition to clutch at still greater prizes and nowhere is there any final satisfaction because nothing there can be defined as absolutely the best or highest but it is natural that nothing should content a man's desires but the very best as he reckons it 
is it not then mad folly always to be craving for things which can never quiet our longings much less satisfy them no matter how many things one has he is always lusting after what he has not never at peace he sighs for new possessions discontented he spends himself in fruitless toil and finds only weariness in the evanescence and unreal pleasures of the world in his greediness he counts all that he has clutched as nothing in comparison with what is beyond his grasp and loses all pleasure in his actual possessions by longing after what he has not yet covets no man can ever hope to own all things even the little one does possess is got only with toil and is held with fear since each is certain to lose what he hath when god's day appointed though unrevealed shall come but the perverted will struggles towards the ultimate good by devious ways yearning after satisfaction yet led astray by vanity and deceived by wickedness ah if you wish to attain to the consummation of all desire so that nothing unfulfilled will be left why weary yourself with fruitless efforts running hither and thither only to die long before the goal is reached it is so that these impious ones wander in a circle longing after something to gratify their yearnings yet madly rejecting that which alone can bring them to their desired end not by exhaustion but by attainment they wear themselves out in vain travail without reaching their blessed consummation because they delight in creatures not in the creator they want to traverse creation trying all things one by one rather than think of coming to him who is lord of all and if their utmost longing were realized so that they should have all the world for their own yet without possessing him who is the author of all being then the same law of their desires would make them contemn what they had and restlessly seek him whom they still lacked that is god himself rest is in him alone man knows no peace in the world but he has no disturbance when he is with god and so the soul says with confidence whom have i in heaven but thee and there is none upon earth that i desire in comparison of thee god is the strength of my heart and my portion for ever it is good for me to hold me fast by god to put my trust in the lord god even by this way one would eventually come to god if only he might have time to test all lesser goods in turn but life is too short strength too feeble and competitors too many for that course to be practicable one could never reach the end though he were to weary himself with the long effort and fruitless toil of testing everything that might seem desirable it would be far easier and better to make the essay in imagination rather than in experiment 
for the mind is swifter in operation and keener in discrimination than the bodily senses to this very purpose that it may go before the sensuous affections so that they may cleave to nothing which the mind has found worthless and so it is written prove all things hold fast that which is good which is to say that right judgment should prepare the way for the heart otherwise we may not ascend into the hill of the lord nor rise up in his holy place we should have no profit in possessing a rational mind if we were to follow the impulse of the senses like brute beasts with no regard at all to reason those whom reason does not guide in their course may indeed run but not in the appointed racetrack neglecting the apostolic counsel so run that ye may obtain for how could they obtain the prize who put that last of all in their endeavor and run round after everything else first but as for the righteous man it is not so with him he remembers the condemnation pronounced on the multitude who wander after vanity who travel the broad way that leads to death and he chooses the king's highway turning aside neither to the right hand nor to the left even as the prophet saith the way of the just is uprightness warned by wholesome counsel he shuns the perilous road and heeds the direction that shortens the search forbidding covetousness and commanding that he sell all that he hath and give to the poor blessed truly are the poor for theirs is the kingdom of heaven they which run in a race run all but distinction is made among the racers the lord knoweth the way of the righteous and the way of the ungodly shall perish a small thing that the righteous hath is better than great riches of the ungodly even as the preacher saith and the fool discovereth he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver but christ saith blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled righteousness is the natural and essential food of the soul which can no more be satisfied by earthly treasures than the hunger of the body can be satisfied by air if you should see a starving man standing with mouth open to the wind inhaling draughts of air as if in hope of gratifying his hunger you would think him lunatic but it is no less foolish to imagine that the soul can be satisfied with worldly things which only inflate it without feeding it what have spiritual gifts to do with carnal appetites or carnal with spiritual praise the lord o my soul who satisfieth thy mouth with good things he bestows bounty immeasurable he provokes thee to good he preserves thee in goodness he prevents he sustains he fills thee he moves thee to longing and is he for whom thou longest i have said already that the motive for loving god is god himself and I spoke truly for he is as well the efficient cause as the final object of our love he gives the occasion for love he creates the affection 
he brings the desire to good effect he is such that love to him is a natural due and so hope in him is natural since our present love would be vain did we not hope to love him perfectly some day our love is prepared and rewarded by his he loves us first out of his great tenderness then we are bound to repay him with love and we are permitted to cherish exultant hopes in him he is rich unto all that call upon him yet he has no gift for them better than himself he gives himself as prize and reward he is the refreshment of holy soul the ransom of those in captivity the lord is good unto them that wait for him what will he be then to those who gain his presence but here is a paradox that no one can seek the lord who has not already found him it is thy will o god to be found that thou mayest be sought to be sought that thou mayest the more truly be found but though thou canst be sought and found thou canst not be forestalled for if we say early shall my prayer come before thee yet doubtless all prayer would be lukewarm unless it was animated by thine inspiration we have spoken of the consummation of love towards god now to consider whence such love begins end of chapter seven